Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. It has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the COO of Ocean Builders. You may not have heard of Ocean Builders, but you most likely have heard of seasteading and sea pods. As a first seasteader, he brings along his experience of knowing how life on the open ocean can be and what will be necessary for future customers to feel comfortable in their floating homes. Ocean Builders is located in Linton Bay Marina in Caribbean Sea in Panama. They are the first company to build floating homes in the open ocean with plans to build many more. Please welcome to the show, Chad Alwertowski. Chad, how are you doing? Hey, Mikkel. 
uh, doing good. Um, just down here in Panama, <laughs> Linton Bay. Yeah, you're in Linton Bay. I'm in Panama City. We're both expats, both impromptu uh, Panamanians. But you're originally from the States, yeah? Yep, I'm from the U.S. Uh, I haven't lived there in about six years, though. I kind of left the, left the country when they passed Obamacare. And okay. I realized you don't have to be... Yeah, I, I didn't like that you're being taxed for being alive. So I, when I found out you don't get taxed when you leave the country... Um, I stayed out. So, fair play. And so, I want to get a little bit of backstory, a little bit of history, how you started working with ocean builders, and we can jump into the reasons for ocean builders and why it is so important afterwards. But I kind of want to understand your journey to uh, started working with this because I think it's super exciting. Yeah, definitely. I was down in. Well, I started in Tahiti, uh, working with Blue Frontiers. That was another Seastead project. I was volunteering for them, and then uh, that was kind of going away as I got a call from a, a German engineer who was in Thailand building this uh, floating structure. And um, my my girlfriend was from Thailand, so I, I was there often. So the next time I was in Thailand, I stopped down there and saw what he was doing. He was actually building a, a floating uh, spar with a platform on top. And after looking at it enough, I, I realized, you know, this could be a home, um, basically a seastead. So I kind of teamed up with him. And as he had it, had it built in Thailand, um, I volunteered to be, you know, my girlfriend and I volunteered to be the first homeowners or living on the, the floating house in international waters. So we... We are able to to help get it floating and up in the water, and uh, it was amazing. It was cool. As you know, you're living basically, you know, definitely no neighbors for like 12 miles. <laughs> you're <laughs> looking out into the the nice open water, and um, it was calm, it was peaceful, uh, it was were beautiful. You know, until you know the Thai Navy took issue with us being out there that's a a long interesting story but um basically we proved the concept that was that was the key to it it was a prototype we proved the fact that you can have real estate in the ocean so that's um what we're doing here in panama is uh expanding upon that going from prototype to actual production and we're building a manufacturing facility here in Linton Bay and uh, getting things going. Cool. So I want to jump into Thailand, and I know that there will have to be some prefaces because from my understanding, you guys are under a book contract, so there'll be certain things that you can say, certain things that you can't say, and that's okay. We'll, we'll kind of work around that. But first, let's take a step back and kind of explain a little bit about seasteading or sea pods or understand the uh, explain the concept for people who don't already understand or don't have a background in this right definitely seasteading is basically homesteading the high seas um basically uh yeah it, it gets a little complicated people are like well you know a houseboat you know i've, I've sailed on a boat so and I was living on a boat at the time, but uh, it's it's more about sovereignty and 
Um, the, the reason we call it Thailand uh, seasteading was um, because we had sovereignty. We were over 12 miles out, which made us outside of territorial waters. Uh, we don't really call what we're doing here in Panama seasteading because uh, we're going to be in an anchorage. So we will be flagged. We'll be like a houseboat. Um, but it's uh, the technology that will eventually be used for future seasteading. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. Well, I've been on your website and I've looked at the designs and the concepts and they're just so cool looking. So trying to paint a picture, it's it's a giant spire that kind of sticks up out of the ocean. And it looks actually the first time I found out about these, I thought it was like concreted like into the ocean floor. But um, when I spoke to you originally, you're like, no, it's not like they're they're floating. Maybe you can explain how this technology works or because like. I would imagine they would just tip over, but it's clearly not the case. Right. That's the key to the spar technology. Um, a spar is similar to just putting a wine bottle in the water with uh, some weight on the bottom. Um, it's a large tube, and we put the lower the, the weight we have at the bottom, um, the lower the center of gravity, which uh, makes it so that top hardly ever moves at all. Um, our next version, our, our first version was a 20 meter tube uh, with, we poured a bunch of concrete into the bottom. Mm -hmm. Into the bottom of the unit, not into the bottom of the rock face or anything like that, or the, the ocean floor. Yeah. That's been the confusing thing uh, for, mainly for the governments. <laughs> they see yeah. this and they're like, get that off the floor. You're not supposed to have that sitting. Yeah, you're going to destroy the floor. coral or something. And you're like, right. No, it's floating. <laughs> We have two prototypes here in the bay, and uh, both of them, the, the government is still getting on us about, you know, you know get that off the ground. Because it is so stable. It looks so stable. And uh, they drive by it. Their their waves don't affect it at all. So they're like, oh, obviously that's sitting on the ground. So, yeah, that's that's the, the technology. And the, the lighter the, the home on the top, we make the home out of fiberglass. and. Uh, of sandwich foam, so um, and and the home actually we we make it so that it will float. So you know, heaven forbid the the spar sinks or whatever, um, the the home will still be floating. I mean, that's how we got the house out to the site in Thailand is we floated it out there and then raised it up onto the top, and yeah, that's how the navy was able to tear it down the same way. <laughs> Well, and then the design themselves is so neat looking. Um, from my research, it shows that you guys are actually 3D printing these units. Right. Yeah, we've got, I guess, the largest 3D printer, I guess we'd say in Latin America, because basically outside of the U.S., we've got pretty much the largest 3D printer. Um, and we're just getting that set up this week. But um what we'll basically be doing is 3D printing the the foam, and then we will layer it with fiberglass on the outside, and that will allow us uh, to basically just 3D print a bunch of homes. And I saw that the turnout is like you're doing, or you will once the facility is built, you're going to be able to build two of them a week. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> I wish no, no, maybe. 
uh, maybe one a month starting out. We're shooting for two a month. Um, but that's, that's all amount of, a matter of, you know, we got to <laughs> scale things up. Scale it up. Yeah. 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 Maybe it was two a month I read, not two, two a week. Still incredibly impressive when you think that the amount of time it normally takes to build a home, um, you know, you'll be able to turn these out quite quickly. That's the, the key here is we're, we're not looking to, yeah, just, uh, have a couple, you know, we want this to be yeah, a worldwide a whole community. Thing. Okay, so but with the 3D printing, um, are you guys able to add in a lot of the technology or is it just the frame that's being built? Because I saw that there's a lot of eco-friendly, smart home type of technology that's being added in there. So when you say hopefully two a month once things start ramping up, is that start to finish product or is that just the outside shell that will be able to be completed? Um, well, the hope is that start to finish. Um, what we can actually do is just, 3D print a mold and then start uh, using that to fiberglass and but all the yeah the the smart home technology all that we are we're actually we set up an incubator here in um, Panama and we are having people I mean once once the pandemic thing is you know travels lifted then we've got so many people ready to come down and they've got their, their tech ideas. We want to make it as smart home as we can. The, the windows are, you know, we want them to be smart glass where you can turn them, <laughs> turn the window on and off as far as. Uh, so it's kind of like in the airplanes where you're able to adjust the brightness um, with a button opposed to having to pull down a window shade or in this case in a home have blinds or anything like that. Exactly. And then you can project uh, images on it. Um, mm. Our ideal, the ideal we want to get to is projecting, you know, say, you know, you say to your, like, hey, C-Pod, um, Paris, 1935, <laughs> and then <laughs> get like a, a view of Paris outside your window. So That's pretty neat. But, but yeah, we're definitely doing, um, you know, composting toilets and, uh, Everything we're recycling the water. The we have a hyperloop technology we're going to be using for the showers, which uh, will recycle the water. And you know, while it's recycling, you don't have to warm it up each you know all the time, so it's the same temperature. Um, and then what's what's great about you know everybody's like, oh, why don't you just get a boat? Uh, what's great about being in one place is you can grow a coral garden under your under your home. So we have the technology to grow coral and make coral grow faster than it would anywhere else. You know, we, we call ourselves ocean builders, not because we're building in the ocean, but we're actually building up the ocean by using our uh, coral creek technology. We can um, use electricity to pull the uh, calcium carbonate out of the water, which uh, the, the coral thrives on that. So we can grow it. You can have, a full ecosystem under your home and um, every home that goes into the water will actually be promoting, promoting the ecosystem. It'll be pulling carbon out of the air. So, well, that's so funny because like I, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people, when they see these the first time, they think that they're actually damaging the coral because they're on the ground, but you're saying actually because they're floating and now you have this new technology, you're actually able to promote 
the ecology of the area. So you're actually leaving a positive right. footprint. And then with a lot of the uh, reusing of the water, and I saw that you guys were also using like rain catch. So you can use a lot of the rainwater. Um, so you're, you're touching on many different things here, which I think is so exciting. You know, it's the sustainability, it's the eco-friendly, it's the smart home, it's the, you know, the sovereignty, which is obviously a massive, massive part for me. Um, I think it's really interesting. And you guys are going to appeal to so many different people and to so many different right. groups. Um, and people are going to be able to learn from one group to another. We're obviously like with me and my show and my work with escape artists, you know, sovereignty is such a massive part, but maybe I don't know so much about the ecological impact. So if I were to be involved or, you know, if I were to buy one of these, then I could learn about new technology and new ways to help, uh, help the world. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the prototype we had in Thailand, um, the amount of fish that were around it just for being there. Um, it, a lot of people don't know the, the open ocean is just like a vast desert of nothing. Uh, no life. So when we put our homes there, uh, the the fish just grow and thrive around it. We you know we call the the fish the Lillis, uh, You know our friends. Everybody's always worried about you know where you put the garbage. Um, well, at least the compostable food type stuff, we would just throw out our door, and the fish would just all come come running in. So that was that's that's always a great thing. I mean, our our plastic, everything that goes. That goes in the garbage dumps along with everybody else's plastic. So everybody's always like, "Oh, well, you're you're not self-sustaining because you're not, you know, building your own farms and you're not <laughs> building your own microchips and whatever." It's like, you know, look, we're we're doing about, you know, the goal is to be about as good as Hong Kong or Singapore. They're they're definitely not, you know, farming their own cows, but they they're able to survive. Okay, super interesting. So let's dig into Thailand a little bit. So this project started, you you and your girlfriend decided to test it out. Kind of paint me the picture of a time frame of how this looked, you know, how long did this take to set up? And, you know, I, I've, um, I think I've been following your journey for at least a year, maybe two. Um, I saw stuff come up in a blog or someone forwarded it to me. So I started reading about that. Then I started reading about the Seasteading Institute. And then we were both at Anarchapoco. So we chatted and exchanged contacts there. And I've been kind of following like peripheral to what you've been doing. But I want to understand at a deeper level. Like, so what was the time frame? How long did this stuff take? What were the, the challenges, you know? Yeah, it was actually fairly quick for the prototype. Um, our engineers. Well, he's German and he's like all about getting things done quickly. So it started in August of 2018. And we were in, you know, the Seastead was up February of 2019. But he would have rather had it up quicker, but we were working with, yeah, contractors. So, yeah, but we got there in September of 2018 and there was already the spar was being put together as a bunch of basically steel two meter steel tubes that they had to weld together so over the course of a month or so they were welding that together well um the platform at the time was just an octagon uh floor that they then built this uh small the small structure which that 
that took uh, until the end of December. Um, I mean, it was all built by the end of December. We were ready to put it in the water. And we actually, we had uh, Joe Quirk and a bunch of people from Seasteading Institute come out and because we'd planned on uh, commemorating the 10 year anniversary of uh, Bitcoin oh, okay. by raising the, the Seastead on you know January 10th. Um, but like the biggest storm in Thailand history hit that <laughs> that week. <laughs> So that seems appropriate to, for Bitcoin, though. Like that—that that sounds about right, you know. Right. So we had to postpone it. So we we towed the spar out at least that week, and then uh, later on, about a, a couple of weeks later, we were able to put the house on top. But uh, it was. Um, and when you say house, when you say house, I've seen the pictures. Can you can you describe what house quote unquote means? This is the prototype, everyone. This is the prototype. Right. So it's six meters wide. It was an octa- octagon shape, um, which it was actually not bad. I was used to living. I lived in Afghanistan in a, you know, a container home for, for a couple of years. So this wasn't bad. But you know, living with my girlfriend Nadia, she she was okay with it. She's used to living in small places too. But it had a, a kitchen, open area, and then we had our bedroom, full, full bed. Yeah, you know, queen size bed in, in there. And what was nice was we could climb up to the the top deck, and it was you know full, you know just hanging out. We had hammocks up there. It was covered by solar panels, so we had shade. And... Oh, then I must have seen some more early photos because the ones that I had saw looked like very bare. Like it didn't look like there was um, all of this type of stuff. So that's interesting. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. Uh, I mean. It was actually nice because uh, the electricity created by the solar panels was enough for for everything. We never were like counting the how much do we have left in power or we have to conserve everything. It was you know plenty. We had laptops and phones charging and lights and uh, water pumps and everything. So and we actually had our own water maker. So we had water. We had electricity. So it was. I mean, everybody's always confused about all this stuff, but uh, the reality is, is people are living on boats already. So trying to trying to explain somebody how it's possible to live on the water with their all their questions is just like you know, look at somebody living on their boat; they're able to achieve it. We're using a lot of the same technology. So, so it went in February. You guys went out. How long were you out there, and what happened next? We learned when we when we got out there, uh, we hadn't we'd kind of thought about it a little bit, but once you live out in the middle of the ocean, uh, the houses are great for the waves, which that's that's the key to living in the ocean is the waves. Um, but then we we tried to figure out well how do we how do we park our boat? <laughs> it's like you know the the house is fine, but uh, the boat was not you know. Not fine. We we had a mooring ball sitting there for it, and we could park it. But um, you don't want to stick your boat, you know, where two meter waves are hitting it constantly over, you know, throughout the day. So initially, our the engineer uh, he would, you know, take us out in his boat, drop us off, and we'd live out there for a week at a time or so. And uh, you know, we. I was, I was kind of feeling bad. I didn't want him to be <laughs> our only source of 
transportation. So I, I bought a boat. So it took me about a month in there to, you know, buy the boat, get it all fixed up, get it ready to go, you know, back out as my main vehicle, basically. Um, so that, that took a bit too much time out of our, our seastead adventure, but uh, we eventually had the boat and we, I, I think the longest we stayed on there was two weeks at a time, which, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's not bad at all. Um, we buy enough food at the grocery store and we take it out there. Well, I think if we were talking six months ago and we talked about being isolated for two weeks, that might seem like a long time. Now after <laughs> coronavirus and we've been locked in our apartments or our houses for, like I've been locked in my apartment for four months now um, with hardly leaving. So might not seem that long, but but yeah, out on the platform by yourself, the two of you, uh, for two weeks is good. It's quite good, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, I guess everybody's learning about, you know, using Zoom and using the internet to interact with the world while you're <laughs> you're isolated. So that's all we were doing. I mean, that's what we do. We did before. We we're always uh, on online. So, you know, we had full internet. We had, there was a cell tower uh, within line of sight. So we had full, and we, we had to get a repeater for the internet, but uh, we had full like 25 megabit per second internet. So uh, we, we had everything we needed out there. That's amazing. And then the what happened next? Yeah. Um, well, actually, it was interesting. We had a uh, like a Seastead certification course where we brought a bunch of people out because you know, a lot of people were excited. They wanted to, to check this out. So we we decided, you know, Seasteaders are going to need to know how to scuba dive. They're going to need to know how to sail a boat. So we we created a, a course with the Seasteading Institute. And we we took a a week of you know the five or six people came down and they they learned to scuba dive and they learned to, to sail and we did this big uh, tour around the area there in Phuket near uh, in PP Island and we're just sailing around and scuba diving and they they stayed on the the seastead for a night so uh, that was about a a week before um you know we we got the news that uh the thai navy thought, saw us as a threat to national sovereignty so um instead of staying in a you know third world country under their third world laws and facing any sort of poor justice we we got out of there so they actually came out, but you guys were already gone, right? Like I heard that there was helicopters that came to scout the place, and yeah, there was <laughs> the helicopters came first. But uh, fortunately, we were in town at the time because it was a Songram festival, which is a big festival in in Thailand. So we went in town for the festival, and that's when we heard it. So we got out of Thailand, um, made it to Singapore, and then flew directly to Panama. So I know that the the journey, that's the complicated part that we're not really able to discuss, but maybe can you explain why the Thai government, the Thai Navy were after you? What was it that you were doing that was so horrible, bad and wrong and, and a threat? I won't go into the real reasons that they came after us, but uh, I, what they stated is that, uh, yeah, they were, well, just because we were saying, okay, we're going to build more of these, there's going to be about 20 of them. And they... You know, they see the pictures of the Seasteading Institute of these mega, 
mega cities and these huge you know that that was the key to why i wanted to do it in thailand something small because i was i learned from the experience in tahiti that the locals they would see these pictures of these huge megatropolis uh cities and then they would say you know you're gonna put that in our little lagoon you know it's gonna be you know pouring your your waste all in our precious waters and everything so when i saw what the our engineer was doing in thailand is it yeah it's a six meter wide house so i was like let's let's show the world <laughs> that this is you know something simple it's not going to take over the you know it's not going to threaten anything you know it's it's a tiny little house floating in the water um i, I assumed just these little houses actually showing them you know you could see it with your own eyes what we're actually doing that you know some fictitious huge city and for some reason they still you know believe that fictitious huge city was going to pop up and they they said we wanted to create a nation which is ridiculous it's kind of the opposite of what <laughs> yeah and what we're trying to all escape you know escape the nation state not not be competition yeah to even create a nation you would have to be 200 nautical miles out and it's funny watching the videos of them trying to wrap their their minds around like in their interviews saying well you know they're they're idiots because create a new nation unless you're 200 miles out so you know they're they're obviously idiots for, for not realizing that <laughs> like how how about the fact that you're an idiot for you know premising everything around the fact that you think we're creating a new nation so uh yeah just like yeah any any anarchist is not going to be out like oh yay yeah i'm i'm the king and you're all my subjects and right. you have to do what i say and pay me uh a portion of your wealth exactly yeah not going to happen not with libertarians and anarchists um well, and then I would guess, and, and I didn't read this on your site, but I would guess that a lot of the countries in that part of the world are quite worried about China and how China is basically claiming little rocks in the middle of the ocean and then saying that their borders extend from this. And we basically are, are going to war with China right now because of the South China Sea. So I'm sure they're very, like other countries are like super sensitive right now about anything that's being uh, put in there. But that was yeah, definitely not their motivation. But that will probably come up in book two. Book two, yeah. The sequel. <laughs> but then, okay, so if your girlfriend is actually from Thailand, um, this counts as treason if you are trying to go against the government, which is punishable by death. Is that right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, that we were under threat of the death penalty. penalty. Sorry, everybody who's listening, just let that sink in for a second. These guys tried to build a little house in international waters, a couple meters squared, peacefully, and now they're under threat of death by the government. Like, right. get your head around how bizarro, like what kind of world we live in with something like that. And, and we're, we're actually just the tenants. I mean, we enthusiastically enjoyed, you know, watching the building process, but uh, yeah, it's like somebody living in Trump Tower being... <laughs> accused of death you know by you know the enemy you know china might be going into trump towers like oh we're going to kill you but what are you doing <laughs> like what wait what i do 
oh, the guy that owns this tower, you know, did something wrong that we don't like. So we're going to, you know, kill all the tenants. Well, and I remember when this was going on, like when you guys were actually in flight and I found a Facebook page and I reached out to them and I was like, okay, I've got, you know, a, a blog and a podcast and a newsletter. I get a couple hundred thousand people a month who read my stuff and take, who consume my stuff. You know, like I want to get awareness. And they're like, don't talk about it right now. Like, don't say anything. We don't want to piss them off further. Like these guys are on the run for their lives. Like that's when you guys were actually like right. underground. Um, and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I won't say anything. I won't, I won't keep sharing this. Cause I, you know, my first instinct is to like bring awareness to what's going on. And they're like, don't stoke the fire. Yeah. It was actually, it was helpful for the, the international media to be involved. Just, uh, just along the lines of they couldn't just disappear us. And, uh, you know, if we disappeared and, you know, that was it, then there would be questions. So that was my, you know, it was my intention to get the word out to people, like, <laughs> let it be known. I would imagine, you know, it must have been heartbreaking to see something that you worked in a prototype being torn down. But from a marketing and a media perspective, the way that they reacted actually has probably gotten you so much free publicity and brought these things to the forefront of people's minds. Certainly did for me. Yeah, the, the Rahm Emanuel thing, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. So I don't know. Have you found that? Like, like what has been your feeling or your emotions or your, your insights on this, you know, like having to move countries and you work so hard for one thing and then it's taken away from you. Do you think in the end it was maybe actually a good thing or do you think, no, this really set us behind? Uh, it's not that it set, it back, set us back, but, um, yeah, our, our wish through this whole thing, you know, when we we're going to be selling 20 houses, what we wished would happen was, uh, the 20 people that would buy the house would be the only ones that would know <laughs> about the house. We don't really care about the the national attention, you know, their international attention or newspapers or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, we just want those people that would actually come and live here to, to be the ones that know. And then we can, we can grow and thrive. And basically we want, we want to prove ourselves first that we're not, you know, this evil, huge, you know, horrible city of, anarchists that everybody everybody's you know all these governments are imagining in their minds let's just get these few people let's have a small community and then uh, our ideal is you know tourists come out and live out there for a week and they meet the people and they see how things go and they go back to the countries and they're like yeah no it's actually a pretty cool place to stay and i encourage people to go to the website go to ocean.builders and see the images and the pictures of, of these units because as my wife would say they're like instagram worthy like i can see these things going up on airbnb and every single person wanting to like post and share and and show where they're taking a holiday or something so i think from the tourist side like you're gonna get so much exposure from that once these are up and running yeah that's that's the idea is uh you know and we're we're enthusiastic about getting you know, at least the first model up so we can show what it is. And uh, we've got a perfect location here in Linton Bay. Um, not sure if you know much about. No. So talk, talk to me about, okay, so we, we've kind of done your backstory, how you got into this, then the story of how um, you escaped Thailand and what everything happened like that. But now talk to me about Panama, talk about the community and, and the agreements that you have, because it's not out in the open ocean. It's actually 
it's quite close, right? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Right next to us would be anchored boats, anchored uh, sailboats and catamarans. So it's, you know, we're, we're not breaking any crazy ground here. Um, the key to this is let's get the manufacturing process down. Let's get, you know, to the point where we show, show how the technology works, you know, sovereignty. We'll worry about that later, but right now let's uh, get the, get the engineering perfect so that uh, in manufacturing so that we can crank these things out. But yeah, Linton Bay, it's the northernmost part of uh, Panama, which people are kind of, it's confusing the way Panama is. Uh, Panama goes east and west. So we're on the north side, which is due north of Panama City. Uh, it's about, well, with the pandemic, it's about an hour and a half drive. But before the pandemic, it's about a two and a half hour drive. So um, yes, it's great location because uh, it's not developed. Um, I'm very surprised that if this was in a first world country, if we were in the U.S. Um, with the palm trees and the beautiful water, we would see like Rolls Royces up and down the road. We'd see like resorts, like every other place is a resort, and you'd be going to the restaurant paying, you know, twenty dollars for three shrimp. So this this place is uh, untamed, which is. Uh, and we're going to keep it that way because uh, our homes are going to be on water. So we're not building a huge luxury resort, which requires you know destroying a bunch of land and uh, you know tearing down trees and clearing out the you know the the brush. So um, we're we're preserving the land while building on the the water. We have a an agreement with uh, Linton Bay Marina, which. Um, we just we just poured the the floor for our factory uh, about two days ago, so we're going to be putting all our our stuff in there. And yeah, pretty much no nowhere in the world is there a seasteading manufacturing site because it's it's not easy because you have to have land on the coast. Um, most land on the coast is super expensive. Uh, fortunately, here it's it's not very expensive, um, and the the marina has a, I think it, the lift can handle I think a hundred some tons, so um, our houses will be easily lowered down into the water, and um, it's yeah definitely an ideal location for for what we're doing, and then the site is uh, it's on the leeward side of an island, so <clears throat> half meter waves. Um, something people yeah they get used to you know small ways before going out into the open ocean to the all that stuff. So well, with this technology, how how high of waves could these handle theoretically? So we're we're doing um two different builds: a shallow water version and a deep water version. Um, the shallow water versions we're going to be putting here in the in the bay. Um. So it, it actually it spreads out the the balance by putting the spars out outwards as 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 opposed to going down. Um, so we're starting with the shallow water versions. <clears throat> the deep water version we'll probably do like a a mile out with the first one. So we're not you know still not going crazy and going far out. We're you know, taking baby steps. No more Navy for you. Yeah, exactly. you've, you've had your fill. <laughs> and the nice thing about Panama is they don't have a Navy. But uh, that's true. That's one of the reasons I'm here. No standing army here in Panama. <laughs> exactly. 
but and we're we're working with the government here we uh we have contacts all the way up to the president so uh the first thing we did before any decision to actually build here was we went and met with all the ministries of tourism the canal authority every everybody that was has any importance in, in the panama government uh, and they all loved it they're they're excited about it and they you know they saw they actually saw the benefit to the country of the tourism and all the stuff we'd attract as opposed to oh it'll be huge for tourism for sure for sure i i am so surprised that the ties freaked out so much because actually this could have been such a boon to the tourist industry especially now after coronavirus and the tourist industry around the world is just getting destroyed like any type of advantage anything that's going to draw people is going to make a difference you know and they could have really been at the forefront for something like this definitely yeah no it's it's uh and the that's gotten us so much more interest this whole people sitting at home you know stuck they're definitely like oh man i'd, I'd love you know if you're stuck you know it'd be much better if you're out on the water i mean i'm, I'm on the ocean right now um, my house is on the water so um yeah i feel bad for for you being in panama city being in the apartment yeah i'm downtown panama city um, it's all right though. I have a 4,700 square foot penthouse. So, I mean, my place is big enough that I can, and floor to ceiling windows so I can see Panama, um, quite well, but, uh, you know, and there's lots of room for my daughter to run around and things like that. But being a prisoner is still being a prisoner. Like I, I do envy you being on the water and being able to go for a walk and stuff. Yeah. And well, yesterday I was out kayaking and, you know, take my dog out swimming in the, the ocean. I guess we're not supposed to be swimming in the ocean but it's right in my backyard <laughs> yeah apparently fish can now catch coronavirus so you have to be very careful about swimming exactly no it's 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 nice out here so yeah if, if you're if you're locked up you're if you're stuck in your house um yeah a sea pod would be would be great you can go down diving under your home and just see yeah. So I missed. So okay so you've got the the shallow water ones and you have the deep water ones how big of waves are these going to be able to withstand? I don't know a better word for this, but withstand, you know? Yeah, the shallow water ones, we're figuring about three meter waves, which, um, you know, we're, we're in, uh, yeah, we wouldn't want to be in three meter waves with that, but uh, it can handle it. We always over engineer. Yeah, so about nine, nine, 10 feet, somewhere around there. Right. That's a big wave. Yeah. <laughs> in shallow water, in shallow water. Right. Which we get those here in the deep water. So, um, the deep water version would be <clears throat> at least five meter weights, um, which is like the hundred meter, hundred year high in the, in the area. So we always factor in the, the hundred year waves. So, yeah, five meter would be uh, about two and a half stories high. So you, you don't want to, you probably don't want to be out there when that's happening. So but uh, yeah, if you see something like that coming, you can you just get on your boat and, and right. leave, go <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah, that might be a, a smart decision. And then, okay, so you're in a marina. Um, do you have to take a boat to these? Is there a walkway? What what's the paint me the picture of how you actually get into your unit? How do you get up the spire? Like the whole the whole thing. The marina here, you just park your car and walk to. You know, it would be just like all the other boats that are anchored here in the marina. So you'd 
park your car, you walk down the dock to your dinghy, or um, we're actually manufacturing better boats than dinghies. But uh, that's yet another project. But um, we, you'd be able to just yeah dinghy over to your sea pod, and we're gonna have a have it so you just tie it up, get on the walkway, and then um, the the stairs are actually in the center spar. So you just open the door, you walk up the spiral staircase into your into your home. Um, for the deep water version, we're actually um, we're creating a a boat that's called a SWATH S W A T H. Um, it's a small waterline area twin hull um, that that allows you to, and they have these um, for going out to the the oil rigs. Um, it, it can just sit in the, the water. Um, unlike our sailboat that we're bouncing around when we're out there, it can just sit in the water and the waves will just, you know, bob up and down and it'll still stay stable. Um, so you, we'd, you'd be able to pull your boat right up to your deck, uh, attach you on a couple, uh, poles and it would, you just walk from your swap into your home and, yeah, you know, we we try to make it as as simple as possible for you know, even grandma to to go visit one of these. So uh, the one in Thailand was definitely uh, for the adventurer. We had to take our dinghy and go to this uh, ladder that was hanging from the thing, and kind of some strength to climb up that ladder because it's it's dangling and so is you know moving as you're climbing up. Uh, during our, our Seastead certification course, we actually had two people uh, that were not able to climb up the ladder and get in. So they had to sit on the boat and <laughs> watch us celebrate. And look at it. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. But so, okay, so you get upstairs. Um, and then how big are the units, the ones that you guys are producing now? Not the not the Thailand prototype, but these ones now. Um, I think it comes out to 900 square feet um living space with about 400 square feet of uh storage space under the the main room so they're actually a decent size like that's a that's pretty decent actually yeah we're we're trying to make it as close to yeah what you would normally want and it was designed by a, a guy from the netherlands who he designed actually there's another uh boat down in miami it's a big rectangular boat that it can rise up over the, you, know, you lower down these big pylons into the ground that actually goes in the ground and then you raise your, your boat above the water. He designed that. It's uh, Cohen Otenhus. You know, he, he designs a lot of, a lot of these things. So, so he made this uh, three-floor uh, setup. It's kind of like a three-story ranch. Um, yeah, you come out into your living room and then you can walk into the kitchen. The kitchen has a open deck that you can walk out onto and then you can walk upstairs to your bedroom, which will have the, the bathroom is fairly large. Um, you have like a big bathtub or a big toilet sink area. But then the the shower itself is the width of the full spar. So it's about 1.6 diameter shower, which you can actually open up to the to the sky. So <laughs> while you're you're showering, you can be rained. <laughs> rain down you know so I have rain shower and regular shower that's pretty neat but so all right so you've got your home it's all set up it's beautiful but your neighbor next to you is a jerk and you don't like him like what happens 
can you can you move these things or are they like yeah how does that work um well the shallow water ones you'll probably not want to move them much but i mean they're floating so you would um and there's we're we're wanting to do this up and down the coast here in the caribbean so yeah if you get tired of this Linton bay area i think bocas del toro will have a, a lot of room for for these types of things and sandblast has uh perfect locations yeah i've traveled through the sandblast i took a yacht through there for a week like yeah 20 years ago or something and it is just the most stunning people don't understand how beautiful panama is yeah like panama is i've been to more than 100 countries panama is one of the most gorgeous countries in the world definitely um especially the islands and the coastline so yeah sandblast would just be heaven on earth exactly so we would we would basically um yeah, set up a bunch of uh, areas up and down the coast and say, you know, if you're tired of having it here, like, yeah, that guy who's always standing out on his patio naked, pissing off into the ocean or whatever, <laughs> you're tired of that. You just uh, un, you know, unanchor and then you just move uh, move up the coast. Uh, well, I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd have to have uh, a tugboat or something like that, but uh, yeah. And you'd you'd probably want to go on a, a calm day because the, the shallow water ones are they're not meant for moving all that much. But yeah, once you're anchored, yeah, it's it's very stable. And then once your factory is up and running and you are producing these, are you going to be able to produce them for people who want to go into uh, other areas, other communities, maybe even other countries, or will this just be like okay, you can go and a, B, or C, and that's it. Like, do, do people own the unit, and if they can, if they have a boat or something to tug it, can they? Yeah, it's yours. We're gonna have them flagged with a Panamanian flag and uh, flagged as a houseboat, which actually it can go in international waters. It can go up to Costa Rica. You can, yeah, do whatever you want with it. Uh, and and we get a lot of interest of people are like, oh, I I live here, like in the middle of Colorado. I want one of those here in the lake behind me, like. <laughs> okay well we got the manufacturing site here <laughs> it's kind of hard to send something up but uh if we had like in dubai some somebody's like oh we we want 100 units then that's when we would say okay well we're gonna build a manufacturing site there so or or try to set something up where we can containerize it and then have a um kind of a site there where we put things back together. So things things we can actually there's a, a location here in Panama, um over near near David, over near Bocas del Toro, where this guy owns a a big golf course, he owns a coffee plantation. So he's got a lot of land and he's like, I I was gonna buy build a bunch of eco homes in the trees or whatever. He's like, I, I like your design better. So he, he's like, I want ten of them. So we decided to come up with landsteads and build these. Uh, so so you can put those on a big tube overlooking your, you know, overlooking the trees and be high above the. So it's almost like a, a tree house, but right. It's three um, D printed and then put in place with just one spire. So you're actually not, you're not having to bring in huge dump trucks and and things and pour concrete everywhere and destroy everything to try to get these in 
you're going to leave a lot smaller of a footprint uh, to install these things. That's amazing. Need a 1.6 meter diameter area that you can put a big tube in. I was even thinking about these for like, I mean, consider buying uh, some land that is on a slope of a mountain that nobody else would want. Like, yeah, because you can't build anything there. Like, these would be perfect. And the views would just be insane. Yeah, we, we see the potential for these things. Well, because I think of also like Central America when you go into the jungle and then they have the different levels of the tree cover and then there's monkeys and there's different things like that where, you know, if you go zip lining or they have eco lodges where, you know, you can see and feel and get so close to the wildlife and the nature there, you know, this product seems like ideal for that. Like they run on electricity, solar power or batteries. So you don't have to have huge generators that are going to be making tons of noise and scaring away all the uh, birds and the monkeys and everything. So I think it's really neat, man. I, I, I'm, my, my mind's turning all the op, uh, opportunities. I think it's cool. Yeah, you definitely got to come up and, uh, and visit the site once you... Well, I think you're, you're able to travel, aren't you? Or are you still... Well, the airports are closed, but if you said you're an hour and a half drive, I mean, that's doable. So I, I think uh, I might have to take a trip up there with the family and come up and see you guys for a couple of days because exactly. it's pretty interesting. <laughs> well chad thank you so much for your time i'm really pumped up about this if people want to get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you do where can we send them uh oceanbuilders.com or ocean.builders uh we also have a facebook group um ocean builders that uh everybody's always talking about the latest things we give yeah updates uh we've got i've got my own youtube channel first seasteader which i I give updates of all the all the crazy things we're doing around here. Um, we've been out actually here giving food to the locals, uh, trying to help out during the pandemic. So, um, yeah, uh, that's that's basically where you can find us. And I'll make sure that I put links to all of these at expatmoneyshow.com under Chad's profile, under Chad's episode, okay? Thank you so much, Chad. Um, keep up the good work, man. This is a really exciting project, and uh, I'm really happy to have you on. I, I want to get behind this. I think it's really neat. So thanks so much, yeah? All right. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast, but we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.
I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.